Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Hope your Tuesday is going spectacularly well. And you know who's having a spectacular Tuesday? Eagles fans. They got the best team in the NFL. I don't know how often we've been able to say that over the past generation. Uh, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. You know who also is doing well? Dodger and Astro fans, you both are set to begin what hopefully will be a very good World Series. L.A. ecstatic over being in the World Series for the first time since 1988. Tickets over $1,000 to get into the stadium out there in Chavez Ravine. Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. We're in the zone here, just like Carson Wentz was in the zone last night. Four touchdown passes, and I want to start here. We have talked a great deal about Dak Prescott over the past year and a half and what he has meant to the Dallas Cowboys and his overall impact and everything associated with his rise as a significant single call, signal caller in the NFL. What I think we have done less time on, and certainly I'm guilty of this as well, is spending a lot of time talking about how good Carson Wentz has been. And I think partly that's a, or primarily that's a function of the teams. Last year, the best team in the NFC East was the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys raced through to, uh, to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They were in the best possible condition imaginable. The Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, t- uh, combo was impossible to resist. The Cowboys were probably the number one story in the NFL last year, and certainly Dak Prescott was the biggest surprise in the NFL last year. Now, Carson Wentz was good, and the Eagles started hot. Remember Wentzylvania? I think it was even Joe Biden talking about that. 
there were a lot of people out there rooting for the Eagles early, but then they faded, as often happens in the NFL when you have a young quarterback. And Carson Wentz was good, but he was not great. This year, he's not only good, he may be the MVP if the season ended at the halfway mark. Now, you can ask the Green Bay Packers, Injuring a quarterback can change everything overnight, but there is only one 6-1 and one team in the NFL right now, and that team is the Philadelphia Eagles, and they are the unquestioned best team in the league. And to me, the most intriguing thing about the Eagles' performance is, again, how good Carson Wentz is, because what that reflects is, yes, the Eagles are good this year, but as young as Carson Wentz is, If they can keep him healthy and he continues to evolve, two very important things with any quarterback, the Eagles are probably going to be good for the next decade. That's one of the exciting things about finding a young quarterback and having faith in him is it's not just that you're good for one year. It's that assuming you can keep him healthy, he's going to be good basically as far into the future as you can see. A decade is a long time in the NFL. Carson Wentz will only be, what, 32, 33 years old? I mean, a decade might even be unkind. He might be good for a lot longer than that. And then you also have to consider, we'll do top five, bottom five here in a minute, but Jared Goff this year has also got his Rams, I believe, so far as one of the five best teams in the NFL. And so to me, what is intriguing about considering Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott is all last year we said, man, Dak Prescott should have been the overall number one pick in this draft. I think now if you were redrafting in 2016, the top three picks would all be quarterbacks, and we would go Carson Wentz, we would go Jared Goff, and we would go Dak Prescott in that order. That's not a slight on Dak. Obviously, the Cowboys got a steal by getting him in the fourth round, but I think what has happened is all three of those guys have proven themselves to be legitimate starters in the NFL, but Wentz is now the best of them, and what has happened with year two of Jared Goff under Sean McVay, decent argument that Jared Goff is now the second best, and the fact that he looked like a bust in year one was unkind. He may well win his division in year two. Uh, And then we'll see what happens with the Cowboys. Zeke Elliott, with all the attention that his potential suspension is given, there's just a little bit of a mess surrounding that entire situation. So to me... I think, intriguingly, Carson Wentz, best quarterback in the NFL this season on the best team, and that frequently means you're going to be the MVP. Now, with that in mind, let's go ahead and cue the music, boys. Let's go ahead and do top five, bottom five, as we do every single Tuesday, the melodic sounds of the ranking music as it comes roaring back to life here. I've got the Eagles number one overall. Got the Eagles. There's the music. There's the music that we love so much. The old school NFL jingle in the background there. I have got the Eagles at number one. I have got the Patriots at number two. Why do I have the Patriots at number two? Because I have the most confidence in the Patriots of any team out there based on their quarterback situation. There are five teams that are five and two. The Eagles are the lone six and one team in the NFL at the end of seven weeks. And then there are five teams fighting at that 5-2 and two mark. I've got the Patriots as the best of those 5-2 and two teams. I've got the Steelers as the third best team in the NFL. I'm willing to overlook two bad losses to the Bears. And I think it's fair to say the Jags at home is a bad loss. In the four spot, 
I've got the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they would be the number one overall team because, remember, they beat the Eagles head-to-head. They're the only loss so far for the Eagles on the season. I've got the Chiefs at four. If they have been able to hold on against the Oakland Raiders, I would have put them all the way at number one because you'd have to put them above the Eagles given the head-to-head. In the five spot, you have to decide between Rams and Vikings, I think. I have got the Rams at the fifth-best team. And in sixth spot, I'll go ahead and tell you, I have got the Vikings at the sixth spot there. Uh, Jason Martin, any disagreements from you on the top five? No. Uh, well, in different order. I've got Philadelphia at one, certainly. The idea that four of their first six wins came on the road and that they don't actually go back to the road until they play Dallas the week before Thanksgiving, that is quite a schedule and quite a start for them. They're definitely at one. I've got Pittsburgh at two right now. Just a little bit more impressed with them overall as a football team. Kansas City still at three. A couple of tough losses, but I still like what they're doing. Alex Smith has yet to throw an interception this season, which is still uh, hugely impressive. New England at four, starting to round into form. Had them at five last week. I moved them up a slot this week. And I've got the Rams at five over the Vikings as well, as L.A. is the highest scoring offense in the league with 212 points on the board to just 146 for a quarterback kind of you don't know exactly what's happening in Minnesota so I will go with the Rams at five as well bottom five I have got the Jets the list of sadness I've got the Jets at 28 and I think there's a little bit of uncertainty about which team should be there I've got them there instead of the Bucks even though the Bucks are only two and four and technically have one of the five worst records I have a little bit more faith I think over time in Jameis Winston Got the Jets at 28. The Colts, these bottom four, I think just about everybody would agree with. I've got the Colts at 29. I've got the Giants at 30. I've got the 49ers at 31. And I have got the Browns at 32. I don't think there's much disagreement there when you break down all of those teams and kind of contextualize everybody there. Any disagreement, Jason Martin? Only difference I have is at 28, and I think that's the only place you can have a difference. I've got Colts, Giants, Niners, Browns in the bottom four as well. I've got Cincinnati at 28 because I expected more from them, certainly than I expected from the Jets, and I still think I expected more from them than I expected from Jameis Winston in his third season as they're still trying to find everything there. Cincinnati's a playoff team or has been last few years. Hasn't won, certainly, because it's Marvin Lewis and it's Cincinnati, but Andy Dalton's number 22 in the league in passer rating right now. Cincinnati hasn't even scored 100 points on the season, just 98 on the year. Two wins for Cincinnati. Because I expected more from them, I'm putting them in the cellar because I think they've earned it. Outstanding stuff. That is the NFL top five, bottom five. Let's bring in the crew out in L.A. Any disagreement from you guys on top five, bottom five? I mean, I think at this point in time we have a top six. I think the yeah. top six teams in the NFL have kind of defined themselves. That, that, mm-hmm. would, that would really help because the Vikings and Rams, that's the only area where we're kind of switching teams in and out. I think we're all that way, yeah. Yep. It's, it's a total toss-up. I mean, there, the, there's a clear delineation there as we come up on halfway through the season. Things can change overnight. Just ask the Green Bay Packers. Any one of these teams takes a big hit at the quarterback position and everything changes. I mean, the reason why I've got the Vikings at six is is because of all the teams, their quarterback position has been the most tenuous. And then the bottom five, I mean, I think there's a clear bottom four. So I think the top six and the bottom four are pretty established. So we have 10 teams that we feel like are the best and the worst in the NFL so far. You can argue about who exactly is in that 28 spot. But the real story, I think, of the NFL so far is the number of teams that are mediocre and uh, just kind of hanging out there. Now, 
This time next week, we'll be halfway through the NFL season. We'll go ahead and run through our midseason awards and try to make sense of everything that's, uh, that's going on there. Uh, as we uh, hit the ground running here on Tuesday, appreciate you joining us on Outkick the Coverage. I encourage you to go download the podcast. Encourage you also to be able to remember that we are on Sirius uh, Channel 218 now. We're on XM Channel 210, and that you can find me on Twitter at Clay Travis. I put up a uh, interesting poll that I'm going to get to uh, with you guys as we run into the second hour here. Um, and uh, I also want to uh, say congrats to the city of Houston and to the city of Los Angeles. The World Series about to begin. I'm going to hop a flight to L.A. this morning as soon as I finish the show, and uh, I'm curious to see what the Dodger vibe is in L.A. uh, when I land, and I'll touch base with the guys in L.A. and see what the feeling is in the City of Angels as they prepare for the first World Series game since 1988. In fact, in Hour 3, we are going to talk with my guy Joe Davis, and uh, he is the uh, replacement for Vin Scully to the extent that anybody can replace Vin Scully. In Hour 3, he'll tell us what it was like calling all 162 games for the Dodgers this year and the vibe that he feels in Los Angeles. But we'll check on that. We'll also open the phone lines, 877-996-6369. City of Houston, what would it mean for the Astros to win the World Series as well? given everything that happened with the the hurricane and the flooding and the fact that Houston, frankly, has not had a lot of sports success as a city. They might have had none at all if Michael Jordan hadn't decided to leave basketball for two years and allow the Rockets to surge up Hakeem Olajuwon, Kenny Smith and co. and end up with a title there. Otherwise, the city of Houston might be bereft entirely of titles. So what would an Astros World Series championship mean to Houston? You can give us a call. Let us know, 877 877- Nine nine six six three six nine. Same for the LA crew. What do you guys think as the uh, basically first pitch moves closer and closer? We are about uh, what fourteen hours away from the World Series uh, returning to the city of Los Angeles. I am Clay Travis. Thanks for spending your Tuesday with us here on Outkick. The coverage up next. We set kind of get you ready for the World Series in Houston and LA. Great news. As Snoop Dogg brings us back, you think Snoop's going to go to the Dodger game tonight? It's been a long time. His entire career, 29 years. Dodgers not in the World Series. They're back. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh, bring in the crew out in L.A. What is the vibe as everybody gets ready for the Dodgers back in the World Series for the first time since 1988? Euphoria? It's crazy here. I mean, I haven't felt a buzz like this in our city since the Shaq and Kobe days, probably. And everybody wants to get into the stadium, obviously. The people that are lucky enough to have tickets are trying to get there early enough to avoid all the drama. And that's the other thing. You think it's bad paying $1,000 for each ticket just to get in. That's the bad seats up at the very top. The, the, the parking, Clay, as you know, at the baseball stadiums, you can get preferred parking for like, you know, 65 bucks. Those preferred parking spaces right now are going from 400 to 
Well, the only thing worse than paying $1,000 for a ticket is paying $1,000 for a ticket and then being stuck in traffic so that you're not yeah. there in time for the start of the game, yeah. right? I mean, it's one thing. I mean, that's an insane amount of money to spend. But if you're fortunate enough to have that money and you want to go with your family or your friend or whoever it is because you've been a Dodger fan for so long, it's been almost 30 years since they were in the World Series – I totally understand. I may spend your money on experience instead of uh, possessions. Are you guys with me in that? I mean, if you have to choose now, and, and maybe it's because I'm a dad, and I, I don't really spend that much money on myself now. My family obviously buys a lot of things, but I go on Amazon and buy books, and uh, I go to Costco, and I'll buy things there. But by and large, on a day-to-day basis, other than food and drink and uh, and things like that, I don't spend much on a day-to-day basis basis just on me and so but when I do spend things spend money I would much rather spend money on experiences than I would spend money on possessions for instance take my family on a good vacation as opposed to buy a new couch now not to say you don't need a new couch or something like that or a new television but I would the things that last I think are the experience of a trip and so the experience of spending money on a ticket like that I think a lot of sports fans have the same kind of feeling uh, now, not to say it's not going to be awesome. Also, to kick back on your your couch or your uh, or your bed as you get as the game goes into extra innings and 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 drags on as these baseball games often do, especially if you're on the East Coast and this thing is uh, is going to be on till uh, till approaching midnight, maybe. Then uh, then certainly it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun to be able to watch it from home too. But I think that that money is justified if you think about how long it's been since the Dodgers have been in the World Series. Yeah, the only thing that I worry about a little bit is I hope it's going to be loud and rocking with some real Dodger fans in attendance, not just people who have deep pockets. Because, you know, sometimes the real fans can get priced out of the situation. So I hope that's not the case. But just to give you another idea about how crazy things are here in the City of Angels today, um, my girlfriend, who has more of a normal 9 to 5, you know, compared to what we do, half of her office have put in requests a couple days ago to work half day today. So yeah, how does that it's work? Be a because, ghost town there. Yeah, you know, for the city of L.A., people complain a lot on the East Coast. A lot of you are up early on the East Coast and you're headed into work and you're like, why does the World Series start so late? I think the first pitch is scheduled for 8.09 Eastern. I believe that's correct. Uh, 5.09 is, I mean, when you factor in the difficulty of driving to the stadium or getting home in L.A. traffic, I mean, a lot of people have to leave work by 4 o'clock at the earliest in order to be home for the first pitch or be out to a bar to watch it with their friends or go to somebody's house or certainly go there. I mean, that is a, uh, that's a substantial effort on the West Coast that if you haven't spent time on the West Coast, you would have no idea about, right? I mean, people complain on the East Coast about late, late finishes. The early start situation on the West Coast is a pretty big deal if you have a normal job. Yeah, the first traffic surge here is about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. I bet you that's going to be like 1 p.m. today that we get that first big afternoon drive surge. So everything is going to get pushed up by a few hours. Yeah, and and for people out there, we know because we see the ratings. I mean, 5 a.m. on the West Coast for both San Francisco and L.A. is a – it's basically the start of rush hour. I mean, it's insanely early. But traffic in both of those towns can be so substantial that everybody, if you you know, or try, especially if you're trying to keep up with the East Coast uh, and you're worried about the stock market uh, starting and everything else, and let's say you got an early morning job, I mean, there's a lot of you waking up and keeping up with us 
in that final hour to deal with that traffic. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens uh, in the World Series there. Um, and uh, and again, for the city of Houston, as, as much attention as L.A. is going to get for being in their first World Series since 1988, the storyline for the city of Houston is even better. I mean, I think the casual sports fan out there will probably end up rooting for the Astros over the Dodgers because of the connection between the city of Houston and the flood and the hurricane and the reaction and the, the damage that was done in the city of Houston and because the Astros have never won a World Series before. And frankly, just because they switched to the AL, what, three or four years ago, a lot of people are not even used to the fact that the Astros are now an American League team. So they went as a National League team uh, a decade ago or whatever the heck it was, and now they are back as a uh, as a uh, team from the American League and a lot of people are going to be surprised that they even exist there. And so there is uh there's a lot to uh, to kind of chase down in that respect about everything that uh, that surrounds this uh, this World Series. Um just so much to get to in general as we kind of uh, break down Tuesday, recalibrate, reset, get the World Series ready. Think about week seven that was in the NFL. Start to look ahead to the next week in everything that's surrounding college football and the NFL. What do you expect in terms of this series, Danny, Um, in terms of how many games it's going to go? The Dodgers are big favorites tonight with Clayton Kershaw on the mound. I think minus 180 to win this uh, game, which is a pretty prohibitive favorite. That's all basically given over to Kershaw. And I think the fact that the Dodgers are more rested – and that they're more prepared and that their uh, pitching rotation is set up. They don't have to worry about it yeah. in the same way necessarily that the Astros do. Uh, it would be great to see Verlander against uh, Clayton Kershaw. We're not going to be able to uh, to see that, I don't believe, in this series. So what do you think is likely to happen? If you were assessing how many games this is going to go and uh, and maybe how game one will go to set the table for this World Series, what would you anticipate? I'm predicting the Dodgers in six, and I could see the Astros starting pitchers uh, winning, helping the Astros pull two games away from the Dodgers. But they need to go at least seven innings because the one weak spot that the Astros have is their middle relief. So they need Verlander to pitch a strong seven. They need Keuchel to pitch a lot better than he did in New York against the Yankees. Because think about it, the Yankees racked off of him. If the Yankees could get to Keuchel, the Dodgers can score some runs off of him. So if the Astros can get some good starts out of those two pitchers, they can get two wins in the series probably. But that's a big if because, that, like I said, the relief pitchers for the Astros, it's not there the way it is for the Dodgers. The Dodgers have the best bullpen in baseball they did all season. So that's one of the reasons why Kershaw has a leg up tonight because he doesn't have all this on him where it's just him and he feels like he's got to get through the seventh, which is why that's been a bad inning for him in the past in the postseason. He feels like he needs to carry the entire team. No, now just give us six solid innings, give it to the bullpen, give it to Jansen at the end of the game, boom, it's a it's a W. So uh, the Dodgers pitching, I think, is what's going to put them over the top in this series. Clayton Kershaw obviously has become the Peyton Manning of baseball. Whether or not it's fair or foul, this is a guy who everybody says can't win the big one. And what I always think is unfair about that story, and certainly it's one that Peyton Manning would lived with for a long time, Tony Romo uh, probably lived with that for a long time too, and now his career is over. 
the big one is only defined as whatever game you lose. So now if Clayton Kershaw loses game one, and if he doesn't pitch well, people will say, oh, well, Clayton Kershaw can't win the big one. Well, he just put his team into the World Series. It's a moving target. The big one is whichever game you advance to and lose, not whichever games you have to win to get to that point. I always think that's a little bit unfair. One thing that's interesting about this series, I was already looking ahead because I'm thinking next week, we're one week away exactly from the uh, – from Halloween, I mean, the process of getting all the kids' costumes ready and everything else. How many people out there across the country are, if it's game six and it's a really entertaining World Series, are going to be trying to balance Halloween responsibilities on Tuesday the 31st with everything that is going to be surrounding potentially the World Series? That head-to-head collision is going to be pretty fascinating to watch. Let's bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, uh, get a update from the world of sports. What's up, Eddie? What's up, Clay? Obviously, we got to start with Monday Night Football in Philadelphia, where the Eagles beat the Redskins 34-24 in an NFC East clash. That's five straight wins now for Philadelphia. They got the best record in the league at six and one. They were led by quarterback Carson Wentz, who had four touchdown passes for Washington. With a loss, they dropped to three and three. News from the NFL, where Dolphins head coach Adam Gase says Matt Moore is going to start at quarterback for Miami Thursday against the Baltimore Ravens, with Jay Cutler suffering from multiple cracked ribs. Browns left tackle Joe Thomas suffered a torn triceps tendon in Sunday's loss to the Titans. He's done for the year. He had not missed a snap since being drafted in 2007 before that injury on Sunday. And Cowboys kicker Dan Bailey is expected to miss several weeks with a groin strain. Some games are noted in the NBA. Spurs are 3-0. They beat the Raptors 101-97. Grizzlies are 3-0. They beat the Rockets in Houston 98-90. And the Wizards are 3-0 after knocking off the Nuggets in Denver 109-104. And Clay, here's the latest in the Ezekiel Elliott saga. A judge denied the NFL's request for an expedited hearing regarding the Cowboys star running backs six-game suspension. The next hearing is set for October the 30th, so Elliott remains eligible to play at least one more game before the next ruling in his suspension. It's, it's amazing to me. Thanks for the update uh, there, uh, Eddie Garcia. It's amazing to me how sports has frequently become just an update on the uh, court proceedings. I mean, how many big stories we've had where both sides are fighting tooth and nail and you get one ruling, then you get the other ruling. I never would have believed when I was in law school or practicing law that so much of sports would end up connected to courtrooms. And we haven't even had really, I mean, I I, I talk about this every now and then, but if we had the OJ case today, I can't even imagine what that would be like. It would be pure insanity to think about what social media would be like. The regular media was crazy enough covering that case. Can you imagine what today's world would be like? I'm sure at some point in the next 20 years, we'll have another case like that, that – kind of grabs the the culture connected to the world of sports. And I don't really think that Aaron Hernandez's case quite ascended to that level because Aaron Hernandez, frankly, wasn't a big enough guy, uh, a big enough star. But there are certainly going to be, I would say, in the next 20 years, we'll have a sports case, the likes of OJ-esque in some level again. And I can't even imagine what social media is going to be like during that time. I'm coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. If you were fortunate enough, it'd be great to get in the Doc uh, and Marty McFly machine and go back in time in the DeLorean and buy a, uh, uh, a regular season MVP ticket on Carson Wentz. Uh, I'm seeing now one of you has uh, tweeted me, and man, it's crazy. 50 to 1 
was the number. I actually thought it might have been even higher to be the MVP in the NFL. And right now, I would say that's probably fair to put Carson Wentz at number one on the most likely to be MVP list. Now, got to stay healthy. Ask, uh, ask certainly Aaron Rodgers. Anything can happen at any moment in time in the NFL. But so far, as we approach the halfway point of the NFL season, the best quarterback in the NFL has been Carson Wentz. And it's not just that Carson Wentz has been the best quarterback in the NFL. It's that, frankly, at least to me, that all three of the second-year guys have now eclipsed so far the guys who were in year three that we thought might be ready to take the next step and contend for division titles. Jameis Winston is two and four. I know statistically he has put up some decent yardage totals, but his team is two and four, and this is a bottom-line business. And right now in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in last place, and we'll see whether or not they can get back into the mix and make a run to uh, to potentially contend for this division title. But I think it's fair to say that given all of the additions that Jameis Winston had on the offensive side of the ball, expectations were that he was going to take a big step in a positive direction in terms of contending for a uh, division title. Meanwhile, Marcus Mariota has not been healthy. And look, I know that Jameis Winston also has the sprained AC joint in his throwing shoulder, so he hasn't been 100% healthy either. But Marcus Mariota's uh, hamstring is all messed up, and we just saw one of the worst football games to ever be played in the history of the NFL between the Browns and the Titans. Now, the Titans won 12-9 in overtime, but Mariota has not been very good so far. Now, to be fair to Mariota, this offensive play calling has been atrocious. His wide receivers have not necessarily been healthy. And he's only played six games because he missed one with an injury. And he's 4-2 and two in the six games that he started. I feel like if he had stayed healthy, probably the Titans would have gone on the road and beaten the Dolphins. So that potentially could be 5-2. and two. So the results are good, even if the overall performance has not necessarily made you think, oh my God, Marcus Mariota is incredible. So we'll see. The Titans are on bye week here. Can Mariota get healthy? Can the Titans contend for the AFC South? They're at least tied for first place there. I use that as an example because year three, a lot of times guys are officially where they're going to end up in terms of their overall talent. And I think it's fair to say right now, if you were drafting young quarterbacks in the league, if you were drafting young quarterbacks in the league, the six best young quarterbacks, am I correct in this? The six best young quarterbacks in the NFL right now are the three guys in year two who I think uh, everybody would acknowledge, Dak, uh, Jared Goff, and Carson Wentz. Then I think Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, just based on what they've done in the first two years in conjunction with this, and then Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is obviously, I believe I'm correct, in his fourth year. Am I correct in that, Danny G, that Derek Carr is now in his fourth year as the Raiders quarterback? And obviously, the Raiders have not been that great, and Derek Carr hasn't been that great either. Would you guys agree with me that those are the six best quarterbacks who are in their fourth year or younger in the NFL right now? Is there agreement uh, with uh, Danny G and Jason Martin that those are the six best quarterbacks year four or younger right now in the NFL? Yeah. I guess it's too soon to throw Deshaun in there, but Deshaun's going to be heard from in that debate real soon. Yeah, it's too soon. I'm not willing to put a year one guy in because it's seven games in. There have been so many guys that came into the NFL 
and were lights out, and then by year two, they're gone. So, or they start to fade year two, year three. The best example of that is RG3. If we were doing this show back in, what year was RG3 a uh, rookie? Like 2012, 2011? Whatever year, or 2011 maybe, whatever year RG3 was a rookie, he came in and had the single best year for a rookie quarterback of all time. And then what happens? The NFL gets tape on him, and they start to break him down, and he's not signed anywhere by any NFL team right now. So if you had those six guys right now, I think it's fair to say those six guys are the best year four or younger. We're not going to take anybody in year one until they at least complete a full NFL season, and we can start to see how the league's going to react once they get them onto tape, all right? So those six, I think Carson Wentz might be the top draft pick of those six right now. If I had if I had those six guys on the board, those six young quarterbacks, I think Carson Wentz might be the number one guy I would take right now. I think number two, you probably go Derek Carr. Wentz one, Carr two, and then I think it kind of turns into an interesting debate as you move forward. Do you go Dak three or four? Do you what do you do with Jared Goff? And is it fair to say I think probably so right now that you might want to take Jared Goff and Dak both before you would take Mariota and Winston based on what we're seeing this year. And I love Marcus Mariota, but I'm not sold on what we've seen from him and this offense so far this year. Talk about that a little bit more. We'll also unpack everything else surrounding the world of sports when it comes to uh, putting in context again, World Series, Houston and L.A. getting set for game one tonight. I will be out in L.A. I'm excited to see what the vibe is for uh, for that start of the World Series. And we'll continue to talk about the NFL Week 7 in the books, maybe touch a little bit on college football and my argument about Jim Harbaugh yesterday that has triggered uh, Michigan fans like crazy, my suggestion that Jim Harbaugh is the most overrated coach in all of college football. More on that when we return. I'm Clay Travis. Thanks for spending your Tuesday with us. You're listening to OutKick, the coverage. Man, this is a great pull. Young MC from back in the day. I remember this album. What year did the album come out? I want to say 1989. Close. Remember we talked about doing 88 music in honor of the Dodgers. But uh, we'll do that maybe another day. Close to it. Back when this album came out. Young MC. Uh, It's time for the Geico play of the day. Carson Wentz. Well, he threw for four touchdowns last night. And after being crushed one play before, he hooked up with Mac Hollins for 64 yards. To tie it up, believe it or not, the Redskins were actually up 10-3 in this game in the first half, and the Eagles tied it up and never looked back. Here's that play. Wentz is back again. Wentz looking, looking, still looking. He is going deep down the far side, and it is caught! And in for the touchdown goes Matt Hollins! Matt Hollins got loose on the far side, and Wentz threw it 64 yards! Wentz now with 17 touchdowns, as that audio is courtesy of the Eagles radio network. Just four picks. He's, I think, right now the number one overall MVP candidate if the season were ending today. That's your Geico play of the day. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Now, if you're a Redskins fan out there, and you're thinking to yourself, man, it seems like we've been really bad in Monday night football games. It's not your imagination. The Redskins on Monday Night Football, in addition to the fact that the city of D.C. is now the most cursed sports city in America, 
The Redskins on Monday Night Football, 1-8 in their last nine games, 2-13 in their last 15, 4-18 in their last 22, 5-21 in the last 26, and 29 games, they are 6-23. The brighter the lights, the more the Redskins turtle. That is an unbelievable record of futility. So it is not your imagination if you're a Redskins fan. You're like, man, I don't think we play very well on Monday Night Football. Nope, you're right. You guys are uh, pretty atrocious. That kind of puts into perspective how bad uh, everything has been. The Eagles 6-1. and one. Things have never been better in the city of Philadelphia. We broke down top five, bottom five. We also just broke down those top six young quarterbacks. And I think the more I contemplate it, I would go... If I were drafting them right now, six young quarterbacks going to Derek Carr and younger, not counting year one. So anybody who was drafted and is playing this year doesn't count because they haven't put up enough games. I think I'd go Carson Wentz one. I think, I mean, I would go Derek Carr two. I would go probably, see, this is where it's difficult uh, for me because I, when I look at Mariota, Mariota last year for about a 10-game stretch was the best quarterback in the NFL. So this may be crazy. Some people are going to be like, oh, you're a homer. I would go Mario to three. I would then go probably four Jared Goff. I think I would go five Dak Prescott. And I think I would go six Jameis Winston. That's the way that I would break down the top six quarterbacks who were in their fourth year or younger, fourth, third, or second year in the league. Uh, Probably some disagreement out there. I'm sure people are going to be in an uproar because you can't ever rank anybody without uh, without people getting upset about where you put their guy. But I think that's how I would rank the six, although I can definitely make an argument that based on his, how he's played this year, you would have to drop Mariota to the five or the six spot um, uh, with Jameis Winston there, and that all of the younger quarterbacks uh, would need to be up there in the, uh, in the top four, all the second-year guys. A lot of uh, reaction from Michigan fans yesterday after I went on and said that Jim Harbaugh is the most overrated coach in college football history. And I'm doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on that. I spent even more time looking at the data. And I'm more convinced than I was yesterday that Jim Harbaugh, when you look at his record, you know, Jim Harbaugh in his last 11 games is 6-5. and five. Putting that into context, both Nick Saban and Urban Meyer, two guys that Jim Harbaugh is frequently compared to, have gone four years with only losing five games. I want you to think about that for a minute. In his entire tenure at Ohio State, Urban Meyer has lost seven football games. He's now, I believe I'm correct in this, in his sixth year at Ohio State. Is my math correct on that, or is he in his fifth year? Jason Martin, look that up. I think he's in his sixth year now at Ohio State. Won the national championship in his third Urban Meyer is going to go 8-4 and four this year. I think they're going to lose. The Wolverines are on the road at Wisconsin. I think they will lose at home in the final week of the season to Michigan. Uh, sorry, to Ohio State. I think Urban Meyer is going to lose almost as many games. Sorry, Jim Harbaugh is going to lose this year almost as many games as Urban Meyer has lost in the last four years in one year. So this idea that's out there that somehow, some way, that Jim Harbaugh is anywhere near Nick Saban and Urban Meyer is one of the most laughably absurd arguments I've ever seen. And when you consider what he is making, what he is being paid, there is absolutely no way that you can justify 
any other argument other than Jim Harbaugh has been wildly overrated. And yesterday we talked about this, and maybe in college football you can go with uh, Charlie Weiss as another guy who got wildly overrated, but I don't ever remember a time when Charlie Weiss was considered one of the best coaches in college football. Was he overrated because of the Bush push and because Notre Dame almost won? Yes. But was there ever a point in time where people are sitting back saying, you know what, I think this Charlie Weiss guy may be the greatest college football coach ever. Um, I think that a lot of people have said that about Jim Harbaugh. So I'm doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. And I think the reason why Michigan fans are so up in arms making all these excuses, oh, if the officials had called the spot better against JT Barrett in that game, oh, well, you got to wait for his recruiting classes to develop. Oh, he inherited a dumpster fire. Look, Nick Saban and Urban Meyer both took over programs with a losing record at Alabama and Ohio State and won national titles in their third year. By year two, Nick Saban had started off 12-0. and Urban Meyer won his first 12 games at Ohio State. They were not eligible to contend for the title that first year, won a title in his third year. All the people out there trying to cape for Jim Harbaugh, you're just making excuses. And the truth of the matter is this, college football in particular is the ultimate you-can't-make-excuse profession. Because by year two or year three, if you are very good, then the results are being developed almost instantaneously. Jim Harbaugh inherited a lot of really good uh, talent from Brady Hoke. He's got the exact same record through 33 games as Brady Hoke. They were both 25-8. and eight. So for all the people out there singing Jim Harbaugh's praises, I'm curious what you're going to say when he comes in fourth in the Big Ten this year and the first two years that he was in the Big Ten, fourth in the Big Ten East, first two years that he was in the Big Ten East, he came in tied for third. That ain't good. Jim Harbaugh right now is not an elite-level coach on the national scene. He's the fourth-best coach in his own division. I would say Urban Meyer, one, James Franklin, two, Third spot, a guy who's beaten Harbaugh twice. Got to go Mark D'Antonio. Stop with the talk, Michigan fans. Your boy Harbaugh, fourth best coach in his own division. Hour one. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and deliver the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Loaded show coming up for you. Thanks for spending hour one with us. If you're just waking up across the country, we're going to have our guy, as we always do, Alex Marvez, on in the next segment here to break down everything that happened in the NFL weekend that was. In hour three, we're going to go wake up early with my guy, Joe Davis. He called all 162 games in the regular season for the Dodgers, and he will try to get us ready for the World Series, which begins tonight in L.A. between the Houston Astros and the Dodgers. I am going to hop a flight as soon as this show ends today and uh, head to L.A., where I'll be out there and be able to judge the Dodger Blue myself. Jason Martin and Jeff Schwartz will host the show tomorrow. And then I'll be back on Thursday and Friday. I'm going out to do the Adam Carolla uh, podcast as well as the Ruben Report podcast, two really very popular um, podcasts 
that uh, based that are based in L.A. And so uh, I'll be landing and going to do those two shows. Should be a uh, should be a lot of fun, busy day for me. And maybe fingers crossed, I'll be able to get in and uh, go see uh, some of that baseball game. We'll see. Not sure whether or not that's going to happen, but I'll be in Glendale, which is not very far away. Uh, where we're recording the uh, Adam Carolla podcast. Last night, uh, as we said, big story. The Eagles moved to 6-1, and one, the only team in the NFL uh, that has gotten to 6-1. and one. There are then five teams tied at 5-2, and two, and uh, we have a pretty clearly delineated, as we approach halfway point in the NFL season, pretty clearly established top six teams in the NFL. We have a pretty clearly established bottom four teams in the NFL, and uh, that context is kind of set in stone. As we uh, move into uh, the World Series tonight, we also are moving into week eight of the NFL season. Next week, we'll have our uh, our halfway through the NFL season projections. I think last year, this came for one of the worst projections we have ever gotten. Robert, um, who is uh, in L.A., made the prediction that Hugh Jackson deserved his uh, halfway point for Coach of the Year honors. I believe that Hugh Jackson is now, if I'm not mistaken, one and I'm trying to do the math in my head because it's so hard to do uh, to do math this bad. I think he's one in twenty-two. I believe he's one in twenty-two on the year now. Are you uh, on his coaching career, uh, Robert? Are you sticking to your argument that Hugh Jackson is uh, is maybe the most underrated coach in college, in the NFL? That was last year, Clay. So I don't know why you bring up old stuff. Number yes. one. Number two, uh, they almost beat your Tennessee Titans, so Hugh Jackson's doing something right. Yeah, one in 22 <laughs> in the first 23. Um, it's, uh, it, by the way, I do think that the, the Browns' decision-making, because of how good Carson Wentz looked last night, illuminates how dumb it is. There are people out there who are like, oh, you got to build around your quarterback. All that matters in the NFL is your quarterback. If Carson Wentz were at the Browns right now, they would contend for a playoff spot. I don't think there's any doubt this year, even as bad as the Browns organization is. And the Browns have consistently passed on drafting top quarterbacks in order to just stack as many draft picks as they possibly can. And what you recognize is the Browns can be good everywhere else and still not any good at all because their quarterback stinks. And they're going back and forth from Deshaun Kaiser to Cody Kessler to Kevin Hogan. They don't know who they're going to play in Cleveland. And it got me thinking as I was contemplating last night watching Carson Wentz, and obviously I'm sorry Browns fans, your decision to pass on Carson Wentz. It got me thinking uh, kind of intriguing fashion. What's the NFL team right now that's the best with the worst quarterback? Best team with worst quarterback. Like what's the ceiling if you truly have an awful quarterback? And right now, like I'm looking around at the standings, the, the, the fact that bad teams have bad quarterbacks is not a surprise. Not a surprise that Browns are the worst team in the NFL and they have absolutely nobody at quarterback. Not a surprise that the Colts have fallen off the reservation, even though Jacoby Brissett is decent, because they don't have Andrew Luck. And so when I look through and I'm like, okay, who's the best team with a bad quarterback in the NFL? Best team with a bad quarterback I don't know, are we sold on Case Keenum as being bad? Are we sold on Sam Bradford? I think you can make a strong argument it's the Vikings because the Vikings are 5-2 and two right now. The reason why I have them ranked 6th overall is because of my uncertainty about their quarterback position. I would argue, though, the best team with a bad quarterback is probably Jacksonville. 
Because I think Jacksonville's talent, they got 10 sacks for the second time this year. You look at their talent everywhere else, Leonard Fournette, the wide receiver position, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. I think that Jacksonville is probably the best team in the NFL with a bad quarterback. Anybody disagree with that, that if you had to just pick the best team in the NFL with a bad quarterback? Because I don't think there's anybody out there who's like, oh, you know who I really believe in? Blake Bortles. You know who I want the ball with two minutes to go, needing a touchdown, driving the length of the field? Blake Bortles, who has more fake stats than anybody out there. So I want to bring in the crew, Jason Martin, Danny G, and Robert. Can you think of a better team with a worse quarterback in the NFL right now than Jacksonville? And the reason why I use them as an example is they're tied right now at the top of the AFC South. I have zero faith in their staying power because almost never does a team manage to win a division even though their quarterback is complete crap. Now, you can have it you can have it happen sometimes when you've got an injury situation, but it's very rare that it happens for the entirety of the season because sooner or later, your quarterback costs you. And that's why I'm not necessarily sold on the Vikings right now because I'm just not convinced that Case Keenum is going to be the guy. But can you guys think of a team right now that's the best team with a bad quarterback? I think Jacksonville is the best option. Well, I don't want to upset Jason, but I think Denver Broncos uh, are the answer. It's a good option. Good option, too. I don't disagree entirely either. Like, I mean, he started out well, but he's been disastrous over the last few weeks, the last few games, certainly, and I wasn't impressed with him last season at all. I was going to say Minnesota, but I think that's easier. I think Jacksonville is probably the answer because of just how bad Blake Bortles is. We've killed him on this show. I don't know how many other times. There are other teams – Miami certainly doesn't have a good quarterback situation, and they're four and two. I like Tyrod Taylor more than some people, but he's a four and two. His team's four and two, and that's because of the defense in that situation as well. But I do think Jacksonville is probably the easiest and probably the most obvious answer. Best team, worst quarterback, and to me, that means that the ceiling for those teams, and for all of them, really, the Vikings. I think you can make an argument for. I think you can make an argument for the Broncos. I think certainly, I think the best argument is for the Jags, but. You run through all those teams. Does anybody have any faith that things are going to get better for those teams? Because I think, look, if if Jacksonville, I think Jacksonville's probably going to go eight and eight ish, which means that they're not going to be in the market really to go out and get a primo quarterback. We don't know whether Sam Darnold's going to come out. USC is a dumpster fire right now. That offensive side of the ball, Clay Helton and T. Martin, they aren't doing anything to make their team uh, win, uh, able to win games. If you listen yesterday to Petros Papadakis talk about the situation at USC, it's a mess. I mean, they're way too talented to be sitting at 6-2 and two and to have just gotten blown out like they did by Notre Dame. Now, maybe, uh, maybe Sam Darnold is going to decide to come out early or more likely, uh, I, I think it's more likely that he is going to come out early. I think it's always hard to turn down the millions of dollars. And I don't know that his situation is going to improve with the coaching staff that USC has right now. People are like, oh, he needs more development. Do you really think that he's getting developed well at USC right now? No, I don't think so. So, you got, uh, obviously, you've got Sam Darnold. You've got Josh Rosen coming out, UCLA and USC quarterbacks. And we've got the guys at Josh Allen, I think is his name, at uh, at Wyoming. Uh, and th- there, there will be other guys who kind of rise up the board. You know, honestly, Drew Locke. I mean, if you look at Missouri, there's a lot, not a lot of talent at Missouri, but I could see a team falling in love with Drew Locke um, and his ability 
and his arm strength and everything else that he's got. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I think probably a decent chance that he comes out. Maybe a team gets enamored of him. There are a lot of guys out there, but I'm not sure that Jacksonville is going to be able to take that next step and get their guy. Now, the Vikings are a little bit more complicated because they've got Sam Bradford, because they got Teddy Bridgewater, because they got Case Keenum. They've got a lot of different guys who you may not have much faith in. Broncos are in a similar position. Are the Broncos going to go 8-8 eight and eight again and still be kind of sitting here with this mediocre pile of quarterbacks? And at what point do they just decide, you know what, maybe we do need to go to Brock Osweiler and just see what Brock can get us. Uh, because it seems like Case Keenum is close to t- kind of tapping out at the upper echelon of his ability. Simeon. All of those uh, questions I think are interesting. You said Case Keenum, you meant Simeon, and obviously Paxton Lynch. Like Just the idea during the offseason that they couldn't decide between those two guys means neither one of them's the answer. And then, then when you're looking down the barrel at Brock Osweiler, Denver's situation is tenuous at best, especially when you've got Vaughn Miller saying basically, look, we even use the word embarrassed in our locker room about our performance on Sunday. Well, and, and that's also the difficult situation is best team, worst quarterback. That typically means that you're not going to bottom out that you're not going to get to a position where you can get a really good quarterback. Now, maybe uh, you know some of these teams are going to be able to contend. Like I look, for instance, the Jags are going to have a decent amount of cap room. Why would they not make an aggressive run at Kirk Cousins? If you added Kirk Cousins to this Jacksonville team right now, they would be, and you may think I'm crazy, but based on their otherwise surrounding talent, that could be a Super Bowl-caliber team. It's certainly a team that could not just go to the playoffs. They could win a game there. Why would you not go all in if you're Jacksonville on the idea of getting a guy like Kirk Cousins when he becomes a free agent? And if you're Kirk Cousins, why wouldn't you look at Jacksonville or one of these other teams, Denver? Uh, Why wouldn't you look at Minnesota? Like, look at teams that are already pretty good and consider going to them instead of the 49ers or whoever else is going to make a play for you. I mean, it's crazy, maybe, but Kirk Cousins of the Jags, the Jags are capable of not just winning the AFC South, they're capable of winning the Super Bowl. That's how good I think the surrounding talent is there otherwise. Uh, Up next, Alex Marvez. We'll talk to him about the entirety of the NFL picture. He'll break it down for us and kind of uh, get us set for the NFL Week 8 as well as recap the NFL Week 7. All of that and more coming up next on Outkick the Coverage. Thank you for spending your Tuesday with us. Alex Marvez breaks down the NFL next here on Fox Sports. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Uh, Bring in our guy, Alex Marvez. You can find him on Twitter, at Alex Marvez. And this NFL discussion with Alex Marvez is brought to you by our friends at TrueCar. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. New or used, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. So we ran through the teams that are at the top of the NFC right now, as well as the AFC. And there's a lot of surprises. I would say the Eagles aren't necessarily a huge surprise. So we'll leave them off on the side. We've already spent a lot of time talking about the Monday night football game. So I want to talk about other games with you, Alex. The Rams and the Vikings, both teams five and two. Where do the Rams rank in terms of biggest surprises you've seen in recent years in the NFL? 
They're up there because of Sean McVay. He was such a wild card coming in. I mean, Clay, he's 32 years old as a head coach. He was hired at the age of 31, the youngest head coach in NFL history. And you had to wonder along the way, were there going to be some missteps? Was he going to step in it at some point? And instead, he's handled everything like a complete pro. And he also caught a break. I mean, the Denver Broncos were looking to move on from Wade Phillips. There was some behind-the-scenes tension. They thought that, you know, Wade is a larger-than-life figure, but Wade also has an ego to match that. And the Broncos were a little bit tired of it, of Wade maybe taking a little bit of extra credit for some of the things that were going on there, even though his defense was playing great. So no crocodile tears uh, shed when in that building when, you know, Vance Joseph got the job and was willing to let Wade Phillips go. But when you have a guy who's been a head coach, who's basically the head coach of the defense, and a great split with Sean McVay, allowing him to focus on the offense. And listen, his offense works. I mean, it's, it's not just a fluke that Kirk Cousins got better. We're seeing it with Jared Goff. We're seeing it with Todd Gurley. He's getting the best out of these players. And let's give credit to Les Snead as well, a man uh, you know, who, who obviously has beautiful hair, but takes a lot of abuse <laughs> through the years to the personnel decisions that he had uh, you know, under Jeff Fisher. And listen, I don't know how much of that was Les. I don't know how much of that was Jeff. But the offensive line upgrades they made with John Sullivan at center, Andrew Whitworth, who's been an absolute beast at left tackle, that was huge, adding some competent wide receivers. I don't know how the Sammy Watkins trade is going to play out, but maybe by the end of the season he could be a more regular contributor. But, you know, and getting Jared Goff on track. And I think that, though, is the biggest concern to me as time goes on. Is Jared Goff going to start laying an egg? Is, is, it, is he going to have one of those four interception type games uh, that ends up costing the Rams at a really dear time? But for right now, all systems go for the Rams. All systems go uh, for Jared Goff. And clearly this is a two-team race now in the NFC West uh, with Carson Palmer breaking his arm. And I don't know if the Cardinals would have been around anyway, even if he stayed healthy. And, of course, the 49ers being winless. Talking to Alex Marvez. Alex, do you buy into the Vikings as the likely winner of the NFC North? I know we have the issue with uh, with Aaron Rodgers' health. What are you hearing about Aaron Rodgers in terms of whether he might be able to return? I've seen some people saying he could be out as few as six weeks. That seems kind of crazy to me. Uh, but uh, obviously, Brett Hundley and the uh, and the Green Bay Packers lose this weekend. They've now lost two games since the since the injury to Aaron Rodgers. Who knows what's going on exactly with? The uh, Detroit Lions are the Vikings the favorite? Should they be the favorite in the NFC North? They're the favorite, you know, and, and Case Keenum, again, how far is he going to take you? Can you lean enough on this running game and on this very, very good defense? How far is that going to take you, Long, you know, when push comes to shove? But, look, Minnesota goes to Cleveland next week. As long as Minnesota avoids the trap game syndrome, they're going to be sitting there at 6-2. and two. Hard to believe in the Detroit Lions at this point. They get to play the Pittsburgh Steelers next week, uh, you know, or this week, actually. And, and you know, I, I'm just I'm curious about Detroit. They've lost three of the past four. I think the bloom is off the rose a little bit there. And obviously Chicago is one of those court teams that can beat you. But when you look at the sum of their parts, you're sitting there scratching your head saying, how did they just do that? Right. But they can run the football usually pretty well and they have a good defense. So I think they're going to be around as more of a spoiler than anything else. So, yeah, I'd have to say this is Minnesota's division to, to lose. That being said, if Case Keenum goes down, who's playing quarterback for this team? I don't know if Sam Bradford's ever going to take the field again. I mean, literally, like I know Mike Zimmer saying that, that he there's a good chance that he's going to be able to return this season, but a lot of questions about how his knee's going to respond. Teddy Bridgewater, how close is he to playing? I mean, I just don't know how good this offense is, how far the Vikings can go. Uh, as far as Aaron Rodgers goes, the Green Bay Packers, so if you go back a few years ago, remember when he hurt the collarbone on his other shoulder, his throwing shoulder, how conservative they were. They didn't want to throw him to the wolves. You saw if you put a player out there and that thing isn't 100% fully healed, you get a Tony Romo-like situation that happened with him in Dallas two years ago. A guy you know, re-injures himself. 
They're going to protect Aaron Rodgers. That is their franchise. So I think they're going to be conservative. Whether he gets back this year as well could depend upon whether Green Bay is in playoff contention by the time he's ready to go. There's an approximate timetable, week 15, for a return to the field, but who knows where the Packers are going to be by then. Top three teams in the AFC if the season ended this weekend. Steelers would be the one seed. Kansas City Chiefs would be the two seed. Patriots would be the three. Are those the three best teams in the AFC? Yeah, and there's no one else really I have faith in to, to keep it going. I mean, the Dolphins continue to win. They they win ugly, and it looks like Thursday night. No Jay Cutler. I know the crocodile tears rolling down your face uh, because Jay has suffered what appears to be multiple rib fractures. So no bueno for him. And one has to wonder if this is going to open a spot for, for Matt Moore to potentially take over this offense. You know, one thing you could tell yesterday when Matt took the field for the Dolphins, players were excited to be working with him. They know Matt Moore. He's been there, I mean, through several coaching regimes. They like him. Uh, you know, so let's see how this team responds against a Baltimore team that's clearly struggling on the offensive side of the football. Tennessee, not yet a believer. Clay, you witnessed on Sunday some of the absolute worst football you could possibly see. Tennessee and Cleveland that set the NFL back 15 years. Forget about President Trump. That game did more damage to the NFL <laughs> than kneeling ever could, okay? So we have them. Jacksonville, you know, look, Blake Bortles, I mean, that's a once-in-a-lifetime game, I think, against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. Not really buying them. And then who else am I supposed to believe in? Houston? Not too sure about how how far they can go long term. So those are the best three teams. I I have it up at SportingNews.com. I wrote it for Monday. The Steelers are the team to beat in the AFC North and maybe in the AFC, provided they don't beat themselves. So much behind-the-scenes drama from Martavis Bryant to, you know, Antonio Brown. You never know when he's going to do something nutty. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, and and him talking, you know, crazy stuff. Do I still have it? You know, creating distractions that he doesn't need to be creating. You know, this team has a great job of, of doing its own drama. If they can just avoid that, they are the they are the, the cream of the crop in that division. Plus, play when you look ahead at the schedule, the NFL did not make this easy on the New England Patriots. They are going to be on the road quite a bit. Back to back games in Denver and then Mexico City. After that, altitude is going to be an issue when it comes to those two games. And by the time they play Pittsburgh in Week 13, they'll be coming off three straight road games and on a short week having to play the Steelers after a Monday night game in South Florida against the Dolphins. It's like the NFL stacked the deck against the Patriots trying to get someone else in there. Hey, listen, the way New England is, maybe they'll be able to weather the storm and go. But if Pittsburgh can get home field advantage and to me, I think they are the front runner for that, it's going to be a tough out in the AFC. Patriots-Falcons. We're talking to Alex Marvez. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. Patriots-Falcons happened on Sunday night. And the Patriots got to 5-2. and two. The Falcons lost their third straight game to fall to 3-3. Three and three. When you look at this situation, are the Patriots back to being the Patriots? I know you talked about the difficulty of their schedule. But are they back to being a you know front-running AFC contender? Meanwhile, are the Falcons going to fall victim to that Super Bowl hangover? Three straight losses. What's happened to the Falcons? Let me start with the Patriots. And, Clay, i got to be honest. I, I looked at this all wrong. And maybe a lot of us did. We kept talking about redemption for the Falcons. How about from the Patriots' standpoint? We never looked at it from them. Vindication of their victory, right? I mean, you know, that's something to dangle, too. Like, you know, you had to come back from 25 points down against this team. How about we go out and just dominate them from start to finish? And that's exactly what this New England Patriots did. I think they had their own form of motivation going into this game. You know, Patriots, with as long as they have Brady, I mean, they, they can adjust. And listen, we've, we've seen these early season hiccups before from New England. It takes them a couple games to figure out this is what we do well. This isn't what we do well. Let's maximize our strengths. Let's minimize our weaknesses. Nobody in the NFL is better than that than the Patriots. So they are, the, they are an extremely dangerous team 
once again. As for the Falcons, I, I got to be honest, win, lose, or draw against the New England Patriots, this now allows true closure for the Falcons, and I mean that in this regard. You know, now there's no Patriots game to look forward to. There's no excuses about, over, you know, letting your foot off the gas again and you give up a 17-point lead against Dolphins or overlooking the Buffalo Bills, those previous two losses. You played the pass. You lost. That's it. Now it's time to move on with your season. And because Carolina is such an up-and-down team, because Tampa Bay only has two wins this season, and New Orleans, I'm still not totally sold on that defense, this division is still very much there for the Falcons taking. I just think that, that now, though, Dan Quinn, it, I just think it's going to be easier to get beyond the Patriots thing. Now, do they have to fix some things on offense? Sure. Do they need to trade Steve Sarkeesian for Brian Dayball, like everyone's saying, or perhaps hire Mike Shanahan to replace his son as offensive coordinator? I don't know about all that, but they just need to keep going on offense. And defensively, they got to stop the run. They got gouged again last night. They are not playing well. I'm surprised as well, but maybe the change of two coordinators wasn't such a good thing for the Falcons in the offseason. We're talking to Alex Marvez. What's up with Cam Newton? I mean, the guy looks like he's back to Super Bowl uh, and MVP caliber status after back-to-back wins over road wins over the Patriots and over the Lions. And then, okay, they lose that game to the uh, to the Eagles. Maybe we can understand that. That's a good Thursday night game. And then just completely fall apart against the Bears. What's the story? It's all Jordan Rodriguez's fault. You know, she returned to work last week. And, you know, <laughs> I heard about that. And he wouldn't talk to the media, yeah. right? Wouldn't talk to the media. You know, listen, and, and Cam, there's so much ego involved with Cam, and I feel for that media relations staff that can just make no headway with trying to explain the real world to Cam. And don't, you know, don't be your own worst enemy. Don't snub the media. Don't don't make yourself, don't make enemies when you don't have to. And that is something that Cam is doing a great job of along the way because of his dislike of the media that really stems from back, you know, not only all the stuff that went on at Auburn and, and looking at whether he received money, you know, his father did, uh, you know, from boosters to end up at Auburn. Auburn following the whole situation in Florida and his, his transfer to Blinn junior, junior College. But, you know, the Peter King stuff, you know, when he quoted him as an entertainer, an icon, and people beat him up. Cam despises the media. He does not like dealing with it, but he hasn't been able to adjust his game on this. And, and I, I just point this out because he, it just adds more fuel to what's going on there. I think the offensive line is, is pretty darn shaky that they have there. I think that they overrated it once again, and it's just not working out. I think Cam, as well as a quarterback, we might seen the best of him. You know, he's so erratic as a passer I, I just don't know what what he can evolve into and you don't want to run a guy who's now in his late 20s more like you did earlier in his in his career and telling him to take off downfield because you're going to be risking more injuries to the guy so they are a little bit stagnant right now on the offensive side of the football clearly got to get a running game going again with Jonathan Stewart they're just getting nothing on the ground and defensively not the same group without Luke Keekley this guy is just that good and we don't know when Luke Keekley will be back those look like he's going to continue to play football because he keeps trying to practice hopefully for their sake he's out there next week but again in a division where nobody has stepped up the Panthers can get back on the right track sooner than later you mentioned Donald Trump and the protest and you also mentioned what I thought was one of the worst games I've seen uh the Titans playing against the Browns it went to overtime two minutes left the Titans win it with a uh with a walk-off field goal there 12-9 took three hours and 15 minutes off everybody's life and was not time well spent there were seven other games without with seven other teams without touchdowns scored how does the NFL fix this? Because I think the biggest well, threat to the NFL is so many of these games are crap to watch. Right. And, you know, they cut off their nose despite their face about 10 years ago. Like when they decided, oh, well, NFL Europe is costing each team, you know, a 500000 or a million dollars. Let's cut out that expense and let's concentrate on running regular season games in Europe to help expand league growth 
But let's also not start a developmental league. Let's just expand practice squad rosters, which has been a complete failure as far as development at the quarterback position. Essentially, if you lose your starting quarterback in the NFL, you're usually screwed, right? I mean, you're, you're basically not going to win. And when we look at Carson Palmer goes down, Rams win. 33 nothing. You got Jacoby Brissett playing for the Indianapolis Colts. The guy's been there for six weeks. How much of a true NFL offense can you really run? Jacksonville beats them up 27 nothing. Brett Hundley, 17 points with Green Bay. Looks good early on, but caught up with him. I, I really think that has so much to do with it. It's just the quality of quarterbacking play in this league isn't there. Offensive lines, the same thing. You know, guys, you know, you can have a real big athletic guy who just needs to get some practice time before becoming a good lineman said there's nowhere for these guys to go and i think that's really something that the nfl should look at in the offseason as far as getting something going again to give players legitimate snaps they've talked about virtual reality and you know that's something that carson palmer would use you know when he goes home he'd watch it on the virtual reality it worked for him it doesn't work for everybody you know so i think that that's one of the big problems that you're having right now just not enough good talent it's stretched so thin in a league with 32 teams you know that there's just not enough good players out there right now and i think defense is ahead as well early on in the season usually it's it's offenses i think that that are ahead not in this case it's been a very you're right about it quality of product is huge in the nfl and a lot of times we're not getting it are the cowboys back (laughs) they they can't handle success that's how this team goes and then they get washington on sunday and you know look those 49ers are dreadful i mean that that we all can agree upon and you know they they were able to take advantage of cj beathard good matchup for them zeke elliott looked a lot more like zeke elliott and if you look at like the past five or six quarters for the cowboys they're running the football much much more effectively than they had been uh during the first part of the season so maybe they figured out the problems there and are able to get zeke back on track but what if Zeke goes away after the Redskins game when the court hears him on October 30th? How long is he going to continue to be able to put off this suspension, keep getting uh, that injunction to prevent uh, his six-game ban from the NFL over the domestic violence stuff? By the way, which nobody talks about the reason that all this is going on with Zeke Elliott. Instead, they attack the NFL and not the fact that Zeke Elliott put himself in this position through some not-so-great behavior toward an ex-girlfriend or an ex, you know, whatever she was. So uh, the point is, though, the Cowboys right now playing better, but I don't look at San Francisco as a true litmus test for the Team. Let's see how it goes down the stretch, starting with the game against the Redskins. Any team out there that you think could make a real run that we're not talking about as the top team in the NFL right now? Is there anybody that you're starting to catch signs of? Anybody that you like? We're almost halfway through the season. Anybody that could catch fire for the second half and find themselves in the mix to contend for a championship that isn't there right now? Championship tough, but the L.A. Chargers are going to make life bad for some folks. They really are. I mean, they've won three straight now, and, you know, they're becoming a tough out. And I think they've just adjusted to the fact that people in Los Angeles don't care that they're there. <laughs> and they're going to – they don't. I mean, you know, they're going to approach every game like it's a road game. And I think when you have that mentality, it's a little bit easier. They've gotten healthier at some spots as well. And, and you know, they, they bought into what Anthony Lynn is pitching. And when you have and to be honest, pass, remember, right? they lost two of their first four. They lost them on field goals. So they could actually be yeah. pretty easily five and two. Right. I mean, you know, and maybe this is just going to be a case of 1992 Chargers redo when they started 0-4 and Natron Means and Bobby Ross and Junior Seau, the late great Junior Seau, brought them back into the playoffs and they became the first team to start 0-4, the only team to start 0-4 and get into the postseason. I mean, this is a dangerous squad. When you have the, the Bosa and Ingram on the outside, I mean, it is very difficult for teams to stop both of those guys. So, you know, kudos to them for playing better, you know, and, and I just think they're one that can spoil along the way, but I really think, I just don't know if there's a team that we're 
saying, oh, wow, we thought of them as a Super Bowl contender, and they're going to suddenly catch fire, and then they'll be right back in this thing. And again, the Cowboys might be that type of team because they can score, but we just don't know what's going to happen with Zeke Elliott. It's like we could be looking at, let's say that, that this thing goes through the court system, and all of a sudden by mid-November, we get a decision, and Zeke Elliott has to miss the rest of the regular season. What happens then? What if there's a decision in December, and this guy's missing playoff games? I mean, that that's it's, it's over for the Cowboys at that point almost, right? So, you know, I'd like to say, yeah, Dallas is a team that could get their get, get their mojo back, but with, with not knowing with Zeke Elliott, I'm not willing to take that step. Outstanding stuff as always. Alex Marvez, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Clyde. Be good, Ben. That is Alex Marvez. Follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. He was brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Remind, reminder that we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800 947 Auto. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And speaking of easy, Let's bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's trending in the world of sports. All right, Clay, well, week seven of the NFL came to a close on Monday night in Philadelphia with an NFC East clash where the Eagles beat the Redskins 34-24. to Carson Wentz had four touchdown passes in the win, Philadelphia's fifth win in a row, as they're now a league-best 6-1 and one on the season. Washington drops to 3-3. Three and three. There was a loss for the Eagles in their win as left tackle Jason Peters was carted off the field in the third quarter with what looked to be a serious knee injury. The nine-time Pro Bowler will have an MRI later today. Other NFL news, Dolphins head coach Adam Gase says Matt Moore is going to start at quarterback for Miami Thursday against the Baltimore Ravens with Jay Cutler out with cracked ribs. Browns left tackle Joe Thomas suffered a torn triceps tendon in Sunday's loss to the Titans. He's done for the season. He hadn't missed a snap since being drafted in 2007 before that injury. And Cowboys kicker Dan Bailey is expected to miss several weeks with a groin strain. Some games to note in the NBA. Spurs beat the Raptors 101-97. San Antonio's 3-0. Grizzlies are off to a 3-0 start after beating the Rockets in Houston 98-90. And it was the Wizards beating the Nuggets in Denver 109-104. Washington is 3-0 on the year. And Clay, we've got another story about an athlete getting in trouble because of Twitter, although maybe he wanted it that way. Suns general manager Ryan McDonough says that point guard Eric Bledsoe won't be with the team going forward after they met Monday morning. Bledsoe tweeted Sunday, quote, don't want to be here, end quote, after head coach Earl Watson was fired. Bledsoe claims in a meeting with McDonough that he was at the hair salon with his girlfriend when he tweeted that he didn't want to be here, but McDonough said that he did not believe that excuse. Up next, it's Animal Thunderdome here on OutKick, the coverage. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. And don't let the name fool you. Dollar Shave Club has way more than just razors. Try their first month starter set with travel size shave butter, body cleanser, butt wipes, and an executive razor, all for just five bucks. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash outkick. Uh, we bring in the end of hour two here, and we haven't done it yet this week, so it's perfect time to go ahead and dive into the Animal Thunderdome. Cue the music, boys. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bulging stretcher stuck to my face. Sam, you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. 
And that is the Animal Thunderdome music, as it always is. I've got an incredible story here to start, uh, Jason Martin, for you. I couldn't believe this. This is from a Russian village. This is from the Daily Mail. A Russian village has been surrounded by 20 polar bears, which have tried to force their way into one home. This is an amazing story. Aggressive polar bears are holding locals in a Russian village hostage after being drawn to a nearby walrus rookery. Well, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what a walrus rookery is. Leaving residents unable to venture outdoors. The predators are thought to have forced hundreds of frightened walruses to jump off. This is an amazing story. 125-foot cliffs to their deaths before feasting on the carcasses. Around 20 of the polar bears have surrounded the coastal area of Rikerply. P, I don't know how you pronounce this place. Rikerpi, a population of 600, with one bear even trying to enter a house through the window. The polar bears have been attracted by a walrus rookery in a special protection zone in the Russian far eastern region of Chukata. A local wildlife official called the situation, quote, alarming, as you would well imagine. Many of the frightened uh, mammals fell off cliffs as they sought to flee the invaders, and now nobody can actually uh, get out of there. Several hundred fell to their deaths. These are the walruses, and the polar bears have been feasting. Now uh, there are around 20 polar bears next to the village, and no one can leave. And uh, this is uh, this is pretty crazy. We're trying to save the lives of both people and polar bears. Uh, explaining the walruses falling, up to 5,000 walruses were on the rookery, but there were a lot of dead animals, several hundred. Many crashed. They were scared. They fell from a height, and uh, the walruses were obviously frightened, and they ran right off of the edge of a cliff. I can't imagine very much that's more scary than being constantly being, you can't leave your house because of marauding polar bears. This is up there on the scariest animal Thunderdome stories I think we've covered in some time. An entire village held hostage by polar bears. Yeah, that's not ideal. Uh, That's not good at all. I looked up walrus rookeries while you mentioned it because that was not a phrase, not a term. Never heard it before. That I had never heard before either. It's just kind of an area, and it seems to be in the Arctic, and it especially seems to be in Russia where a large conglomerate of walry or walruses, I'm not sure which is I think it's walruses. Right. Yeah, I think you're uh, yeah. right. I think it's walruses hang out, like thousands of them, which is what you kind of just mentioned about that. And they do feast on polar bears and other things like that, but they generally only do enough to feed their families. They aren't, like, malicious about it. But that's a lot of walruses. Like, I see one photo of these rookeries. I'm not, like, I don't know enough about walruses, but the tusks are enough to probably keep me away. But the idea of a bunch of polar bears kind of barricading you in your own home, uh, no. No thanks at all, as a matter of fact. Like, the bear situations we have in America are bad enough. I don't need 20 polar bears organized trying to find their way into Goldilocks' house while she's still at home. Like, that's not good at all. This is yet another reason why I would not live in Russia. I don't do cold weather in general. But if you told me that I had to live in a cold-weather area and that at any point in time that I could be held hostage by polar bears in my Russian village of 600, uh, that sounds like an awful, awful situation. So at least you don't live in Russia, and at least polar bears aren't holding you hostage, unless you are listening in Russia right now, and unless you are being held hostage by polar bears, in which case we'd love to hear from you. All right, what other stories do you have? All right, so this one, I don't know if this is scary or what you would do in this situation, but another place maybe to stay away from is India. In New Delhi, 
and this was last Thursday. An apparent escape bull on a road gave a couple of motor scooter riders a scare as it attempted to mate with the vehicle. The loose bull wandered through traffic while filmers followed from a safe distance. What you see is the bull casually approaching a man and woman that are on this scooter. The scooter is stopped at the time. The couple doesn't notice the bull until it hops up on its hind legs and attempts to mount the scooter sexually. This is why a 900-pound bull. Why do you think the bull liked this particular scooter? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was in good shape. Scooters are probably, you know, thin, maybe aerodynamic. I'm really not sure. But if you're on this scooter and you turn around, there's a 900 bull that's basically trying to hump your scooter. What do you do in that situation? Leave the scooter. Well, yeah, they, they left the scooter. The weight of the bull, this is not a surprise, caused the scooter to fall to the ground. The riders then called out in surprise and fear. So they didn't run away because they didn't see it in time. They ended up getting knocked over with the scooter while the bull was trying to mate. That sounds awful. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you would survive uh, a situation like that, but being attacked by a gigantic thrusting bull probably with a with a with a bull penis like right there you know you're one minute you're on your scooter having a good day next thing you know you're being sexually mounted by a bull seems like a rough way to start rough way to have the day end no yeah very very much not and of course because we talk about bears all the time with animal thunderdome california yet again scene of the crime october 23rd a california resident videos a mother bear and two playful cubs taking a swim in their backyard pool This is at least the second or third time we had a mountain lion situation while you were overseas with a mountain lion getting into a hot tub when Jeff and I were hosting the show. We also had another mountain lion that was walking across a pool that was tarped and didn't realize it was tarped and fell in. Can you imagine the angry mountain lion that was trying to walk across something and didn't realize it was water? That's not a situation you'd want to be in, be in either. But we've seen bears on trampolines. We've talked about them on this show many times. Now we've got three bears in your backyard pool at the end of the summer. I don't know what you do in this situation either, but apparently what most people do is grab their phone and film it from a safe distance. See, I don't blame the bear here. It's going to be 100 degrees in L.A. Like, a lot of times I'm, I'm anti-animal. You know, when the animals try to get into the house, when the animals, like, are climbing the stairs and everything else – if you're a bear and you got a couple of bear cubs, it's 100 degrees in L.A. If you've got a big pool there, I would be surprised if the bear and the bear cubs didn't want to get in the pool. And I don't, I, I don't imagine they're going to stay in there that long. But as long as you're from a distance, family member-wise, I think you definitely film the bear and the bear cubs playing in the pool. I mean, that seems like a logical decision that a bear could make. I mean, if I were right now in L.A. and it was 100 degrees and I were walking through a backyard and I were sweaty and I was hot, and I had a lot of different hair on me, like, I would definitely jump into a nice, cool pool because it would feel fantastic. I think that's a good move by the bear and the bear cubs. All right, that's been Animal Thunderdome. On the one hand, you could be a polar bear, and you could be holding a village hostage. On the other hand, you could be a nice bear. That's the difference between America. Our bears just want to go for swims in the swimming pool, mostly, unless they're grizzly bear killing people. The polar bears holding villages hostage already in the Arctic in Russia. I'm Clay Travis, bringing you all the bear news you can handle and more. This is Outkick, the coverage. Thanks for hanging with us on a spectacular Tuesday. In Live from the Geico Outkick Studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. As well, Duralast batteries designed to stand up to even the most extreme weather conditions. 
They're built with patented technology to reduce damage due to vibration and delivered the most power during startup. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Well, uh, as we roll into hour three here on Tuesday, appreciate all of you hanging out with us here on Outkick the Coverage, and it is a spectacular morning if you happen to be a long-suffering Eagles fan because fly Eagles, fly, Eagles fly, Carson Wentz with four touchdowns as the Eagles take care of the Redskins 34-24 to and go ahead and stamp themselves as the unquestioned best team in the entirety of the NFL. I'm not sure that I've seen anybody be more impressive than Carson Wentz in year two of his time with the Eagles. He is starting to brand himself, I think, uh, with all the attention last year that was given to Dak Prescott, and even this year, all the attention that's given to Jared Goff. One of the most amazing things, maybe through three, seven weeks of the NFL season, is a degree to which Dak Prescott may have fallen now to the third best quarterback in this draft class, after all the attention that was given to, to Dak last year, if you had to redraft the 2016 draft right now, I think it's probable that the first three picks would all be quarterbacks. And I think it would probably go Carson Wentz one. I think it would probably go Jared Goff two. And I think it would probably go Dak Prescott three. Now, these guys can continue to evolve. We're only a year and a half into their careers. And, look, Dak Prescott is still vastly exceeding any reasonable expectation for a fourth-round draft pick. But I think it's more about how much better Carson Wentz and Jared Goff have been this year than it is any kind of indictment upon Dak Prescott at all. Now, the crazy thing here is basically the Eagles are almost halfway through the season here able to now play and see whether or not they can become – the overall number one seed in the NFC. Because if you look at the standings now in the NFC East, they have opened up a uh, two-and-a-half game lead over everybody else who is in their division with nine to go. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that they couldn't collapse. But when you look at this Eagles schedule, they've got the 49ers next week at home. It's hard to believe they're going to lose that one. They've got the Broncos after that. The Broncos can't score. Again, Every week in the NFL is almost like a new season, but it's hard to see them losing either of either one of those. So I think it's probably likely that the Eagles are 8-1 and one going to the Cowboys on uh, the Sunday night football game just before Thanksgiving week with a chance to really go ahead and, and end this thing. I mean, completely and totally end this thing. If they get to 9-1 and one with six games to go, they basically have that division locked up. And even the rest of the way... Uh, it's just, it's not that tough of a schedule. So we'll see exactly what happens with the Eagles. But I think they are the unquestioned number one team in the NFL. And Carson Wentz may well be your leading MVP candidate now. I, I, I mean, I don't know if any of you are fortunate enough to get some bets in on Carson Wentz as the overall MVP of this league. But I think there's a decent chance that he's going to end up being the MVP. Now, all the caveats that you can definitely toss out there. This is the NFL. All sorts of, uh, of things can change in an instant in the NFL. Ask the Green Bay Packers. One moment they are rolling and in first place in the NFC North. The next moment uh, Aaron Rodgers takes a hit. His collarbone breaks and the entire season for the Green Bay Packers potentially goes up in smoke. So uh, with that in mind, I thought let's go ahead and uh, run through what we do every single uh, Tuesday, which is kind of set in place 
the top five and the bottom five in the NFL. Let's start with the top five. We were just running through everything about the Eagles, the only six and one team in the entirety of the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt that they are the best team in the NFL right now. Second best team in the NFL. I would probably go with the Patriots just because at this point in time, I have more confidence in Tom Brady than anybody else. Patriots have fought their way to five and two. I know their defense has been suspect, but they have found a way to kind of fix what seems to be ailing them. And I think in general, they're probably the second best team in the NFL right now. In third place, probably go with the Steelers. Even though the Steelers have got two really bad losses against the Bears, and eh, I think a home loss against the Jags qualifies as a bad loss. I don't think there's any way you can really feel that ecstatic about that performance. So I'd probably go with the Steelers as the third best team in the NFL. In the four spot, probably going to go with Kansas City, with the Chiefs, um, who would be arguably our number one if they had been able to hold on to that lead against the Raiders. So the difference between number one and number four is minimal there. And then in the five slot, I'm probably going to go with the Rams. I think they're better than the Vikings right now, and I would obviously have the Vikings in the number six spot because right now there are five teams that are five and two and one team that is six and one. I think relatively easy speaking there, you have to go with those six roughly in that order. Uh, Jason Martin, what do you think of the uh, OutKick NFL top five right there? Are you in agreement that that has to be the uh, that has to be the setup? Yeah, I don't have it in the same order as you do. I have Philly at one, obviously. Then I have Pittsburgh at two, Kansas City at three, New England at four, and the Rams. I have them at five as well. They're the highest scoring offense in the league. They've scored two hundred and twelve points, given up just one thirty eight on defense. Where Minnesota has only scored one forty six. They have a question, obviously at quarterback, which is the most important position in all of professional sports, and then they've given up 119. So both those teams have played well. Some of their wins have not been particularly impressive, but you put up 212 with a new uh, a new uh, situation with a new coach and a second-year quarterback that's completely found himself and an offense that's found itself. I'll give the Rams the do and put them at five. I think what's amazing about the Rams is they are definitely the best story in the NFL this season in terms of a team that you didn't expect to be very good at all that has just surged up the uh, up the rankings. I mean, I am impressed in general with them. Would you agree with me that if you were redrafting the 2016 NFL draft right now that the top three picks would all be quarterbacks and that the order would be Wentz, Goff, and then Dak, or would you take guys in different order there? I would definitely go with Wentz first. He's my MVP right now. I think he's the best young quarterback in the league. I would throw, and by young, I mean the Mariotas, the Winstons. I'd take Wentz over all those guys. Quite frankly, I'm super impressed with what I'm seeing from him. 17 touchdowns, four interceptions this season. Now, I might still go Dak second for now. He's got 14 touchdowns and four interceptions this year to just nine touchdowns for Jared Goff. Goff has been sort of protected. He hasn't had a bunch of gigantic games. He's thrown for a good amount of yards. He is throwing the ball downfield. I don't think that there's a big difference between those two in terms of if you went two and three right now, but I'm still giving Dak the nod just because I've seen more from him, but I wouldn't be opposed to anybody, including you, that would go with Goff there because Goff has certainly shown that it looks like he's going to be okay in this league. Bottom five. Uh, Bottom five in the NFL. Uh, Thank you for spending your Tuesday morning with us as we do every single Tuesday. Kind of put the NFL in context. Week seven just ending. Bottom five. Let's count down. I've got the Jets at 28. 
in the NFL. Now, look, the bet spot in particular, the fifth worst team in the NFL, there's a lot of different teams that you could argue deserve to be there. Uh, I think the Jets I'm putting there because the other teams that could be there, um, they have better quarterbacks. And I'm just not 100% sold on the Jets quarterback situation. And look, I understand the Bears maybe you should argue are worse than the Jets, and that's maybe a whiff on my part. But I just feel like the Bears' defense is good enough, and the Bears are coming off a win, so I'm going to reward them and drop them out of the bottom five. I'm not willing to put Tampa Bay there yet, even though Tampa Bay is 2-4. and four. I feel like they've been more competitive. Jameis is better than anything the Jets have. So I've got the Jets at 28, and then I think the bottom four most people would agree on. I've got the Colts at uh, the 29th best team in the NFL. I've got the Giants at the 30th. I've got the Browns at 31, and then I – sorry, I've got the uh, 49ers at 31, and then I've got the uh, the Browns at 32. Uh, your thoughts on that list, Jay Mark? I'm agreeing with you with Colts, Giants, Niners, Browns in that order. I think most people would. I've got Cincinnati at 28, honestly, and the reason why is because I expected better from the Cincinnati Bengals than for Andy Dalton to be the number 22-rated quarterback in the league right now, whereas Josh McCown of the Jets is 13th. Neither one of them is particularly impressive, but Andy Dalton's only thrown nine touchdowns this year. Nine touchdowns. Andy Dalton, a playoff quarterback, not one that's won because he plays for Cincinnati and Marvin Lewis, but you just expected better from that team. And for them to only have two wins at this point and not to have even scored 100 points this year combined, they have 98 points scored. I'm going to go ahead and put them in the cellar because I expected better. I didn't expect better from the Jets. They've arguably played better than most people expected them to, whereas the Bengals have let everybody down, so I'm putting them at 28. I am soon going to be hopping a flight to L.A. where I am told everybody is crazy. We kind of put you in context there for the NFL Week 7. Now let's pivot a little bit. The uh, World Series is starting tonight, uh, 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock on the East Coast. And uh, I am shortly going to be headed to L.A. because I'm going out there to do what I hope are going to be pretty two pretty cool podcasts that you guys will enjoy listening to. I'm doing the Adam Carolla podcast, and I've been a fan of Adam Carolla since Loveline and The Man Show and, uh, and everything that he has done over the years, comedian. Um, and uh, hopefully that goes well. And then I'm doing another uh, podcast called The Rubin Report, both very, very popular. And so I'm double down, doubling down on that as soon as I finish the show this morning. I'll hop on a flight to uh, to L.A., land, go straight and do those. Maybe, fingers crossed, a chance that I'm going to be at the uh, at the game tonight watching the, uh, the Dodgers play against the Astros in game one of this series. And I'm actually pretty kind of psyched to see what L.A. is like because I'm told the Dodger blue is everywhere and that the city is in love uh, as the Dodgers go into the World Series for the first time since 1988. I believe game one of the 1988 series was the Kirk Gibson home run, and uh, that was, a, I believe, a sweep, an upset sweep over the Oakland A's, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, the uh, the Bay City Bombers or Bashers or whatever they called them back in the day uh, was, uh, was a big upset. And uh, to me, you know, I kind of look at, I believe I'm correct in this, the A's back in the day were in the World Series in 88, 89, and 90. And the only one they won with that kind of dynasty, the Dennis Eckersley and uh, and crew that they had there. Um, Dave Stewart, I believe, was their their starting ace back in the day. I was a huge fan of baseball. 
but 88, 89, and 90. Uh, the only one they won, I believe, was 89, and then they lost in 90 to the Reds, and I know that because I was a huge Cincinnati Reds fan growing up. But I'm actually pretty intrigued to watch this series, uh, even though I'm now what I would not what I would call a traditional hardcore baseball fan. I'm kind of intrigued to see today, uh, in particular tonight, in particular, what Clayton Kershaw is able to do in his first ever World Series start. The Dodgers are a big favorite. Jason Martin, are you? with me here uh, a bit intrigued to see what's going to happen in this series yeah I'm actually really excited about it honestly you know I thought for sure I was going to be able to pull for Danny and I really do hope Danny's got you know I, I would love to see Danny happy quite frankly but I've really enjoyed watching Houston play if New York had won this would have been really easy for me but I think I'm going to quietly I'm probably going to end up pulling for the Astros even though I believe LA is going to win I just think they hit more consistently than we've seen from Houston uh, in the playoffs, I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere. It's too, you know, Houston's not a, the biggest market. It's not New York, but it's also not Green Bay or something like that. So I think this is two teams that have a lot of young talent. You know, Justin Turner, obviously the, the pitching on both sides. You have some veterans there, some names, and you've got Altuve in Houston. That's a lot of fun to watch. I, I'm really excited about it, honestly. I know Fox does a great job. I'm looking forward to hearing Buck and Smoltz and those guys. It's going to be fun. You know what? I'm fun. Uh, I'm excited to watch as well. And you know what? I'm also excited to watch because I got a brand new mattress. And when the game's over, I'm going to be able to crawl into it. I'm going to get into bed. And I'm going to say, damn, it feels good to put my head on this pillow on this mattress. And that new mattress, well, it's perfect time of year. It's Casper. Casper like the ghost. C-A-S-P-E-R. C-A-S-P-E-R. Go check out Casper right now. Get hooked up. And you'll be glad that you did because you'll be well on your way to getting the best possible night's sleep you can. And right now, you can get a huge benefit. You can get $75 off if you use the code CLAY. So you've been telling your wife or girlfriend for a long time, hey, I'm going to get you a new mattress. I promise we're not going to have this old mattress from back when I was in college, from back when I was in high school. We're going to get a new mattress soon. I promise I'm not going to use the one my parents gave me that's so old that drives you crazy. Springs are all popping through. I know I've been saying I'm going to do it for a long time. Well, this is your opportunity right now. Get out your phone. When you get to work, pull out the laptop, pull out the desktop, type in casper.com. You get to try it for 100 nights. There's no risk. They ship it straight to your home. Shipping is free, and I'm here to tell you you're going to love it, and you get 100 days to try it out. And just to make your life a little bit better, I'm going to give you $75 off if you use my code C-L-A-Y. That's C-L-A-Y. Go to casper.com. Get hooked up now with a brand-new mattress that's going to make your life better than anything you could possibly imagine. What's better than a great night's sleep? Not much. Finish the World Series by sleeping on a brand-new mattress. It's Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R.com, $75 off with the code CLAY. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. As well, with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And I'm confident to say this. We've got Joe Davis on. He spent the entire season as Vin Scully's replacement uh, as, a, uh, as an announcer for the L.A. Dodgers, and they are back in the World Series for the first time since 1988. Joe, how old were you in 1988? Uh, I was 
let's see, would have been about 10 months at the time they, they clinched the World Series. So that puts into perspective this. You have zero recollection of it. You uh, are incredibly young and also incredibly talented, and you do a little bit of everything, and you'll be doing it for the next 50 years like Vince Scully did. When did you find out that this was going to be a job that you were going to get, and what was your first thought when you got it? You know, it was a few years ago. I guess it would have been a year and a half before I did my, my year of just road games, like I did in the 2016 season. And my agent called and said, hey, do you have any updated baseball tape? The Dodgers called, and they're, uh, you know, they're starting to think about what it'll look like once Vin decides to retire, and your name came up. And so at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm surprised they even know who I am. I uh, shot some tape over, didn't hear much for a few months, then went in and when I happened to be out in L.A. for something else, swung by the stadium just to introduce myself and found out then that it was a pretty serious thing, that there was some significant interest. And again, a few months went by with nothing. But mid-summer 2015, uh, they, they called and said, hey, Joe's our guy and we want to find a way to make this happen. So it, it kind of there were several instances where it smacked me in the face, like, like really? Is this really a thing? And you know, then it then it happened very suddenly with that that third instance where I was kind of caught off guard by an increase in interest. When did you first meet Vince Gully? Would have been, I guess, technically over the phone the day before my hiring was announced. Uh, he, he called, and I actually I didn't recognize the number, so I ignored his call twice. And he left a voicemail, a voicemail popped up, and I about dropped the phone realizing what I had done, having ignored two of his calls before we even met. But we eventually talked over the phone and then uh, met him at a, a function at Dodger Stadium during that first off season. And it uh, goes without saying, pretty incredible. Any, any opportunity, I get to spend a little time and, and chat with him. You uh, obviously came in for your first full season and have had an incredible run. What stands out to you the most about this year's Dodgers team? I think just the fact that it was a different guy every single time. I mean, the, the magic of the summer is pretty obvious and, and the run that they went on when you look at the wins and the losses. But the way they were doing it, I think it wound up being 11 walk-off wins from 10 different guys. That's almost impossible. You, you never knew who it was. You just kind of knew that it was going to happen. They were going to find a way either to bludgeon you in the early innings and it was going to be a, a ho-hum contest the rest of the way, or whatever the deficit was, they were going to find a way to erase it. Uh, so just the, the consistent magic in the whole thing. Now, the other thing would be as amazing as the 53-10 and 10 run was, losing 16 of 17 August and September, that was almost more amazing than that it came on the heels of this incredible run. So I think, you know, if they wind up winning this World Series, That'll be a, a fun thing to look back on and say, man, remember how much everyone was panicking when they dropped 16 of 17? It'll be a really important chapter in the story of this season. But uh, while we were living it, it was absolutely stunning. Talking to Joe Davis, voice of the Dodgers, 570 AM in L.A., you call a lot of different games, and a big part of that is you need to be impartial. You don't need to show favoritism. Then you get the assignment to call 162 games where it's pretty evident that the people who are listening to you are all fans of one team. How is calling a game different when you're talking to somebody for 162 games and they're all rooting for pretty much your side versus trying to call a game as an impartial voice of God like you're going to be doing this weekend in college football, for instance? Yeah, it's it's totally different. 
I think that because of who I'm following, because of the standard Vin set of being so impartial, even though he was the Dodger voice, you've got to be careful not to get too caught up in the fact that I'm the Dodger announcer. And so obviously you want the Dodgers to win. It's more fun for everybody when the team's winning. But I'm not a guy that's ever going to openly cheer over the air or um, you know, call our guys by their nicknames or anything like that or say we or us. I, I think that it's it's something where obviously you're going to be slanted in that direction because the information you're giving is going to be mostly Dodger-based. And I think that you're going to be more excited when the Dodgers do something well. And so that differentiates it from when I'm doing the national games. But I, I think that there's a fine line to walk there where you never want to become a full-on homer. You know, Part of the job description is you're a homer because you're the team's guy. But I never want to turn it into a, a caricature sort of homer, if that makes sense. College football, NFL, those kind of sports are almost a fevered intensity because there are so few games, you almost have to elevate the way that you call them, if that makes any sense. I mean, there is a a heightened uh, experience associated with those games. Baseball is more about the rhythm of a season. How do you find the right rhythm over the course of 162 games? That's a good question. I I think just having having an understanding of that concept is important going in, that you know, each game is important, but it's one of 162 versus one of 16 or one of 12 when you're talking about football. So while every game is important, I think it gets really grating for a listener. If you're making every single moment and every single game the most important of the year, I try to think of it on a, on a 1 to 10 scale. If 10 is the World Series winning walk-off home run, I can't be hitting 10 on a game-winning double in April. So I always try to keep that scale in mind. I think it's important for me, and it becomes important for the people at home who are going to get really sick of hearing you yelling and screaming like it's Game 7 of the World Series if you're doing that you know, throughout the six-month regular season. We're talking to Joe Davis. Follow him on Twitter, at Joe underscore Davis. He called the Dodgers' incredible run this year. World Series starts tonight in L.A., For people who aren't familiar with the Dodgers, what to you would say characterizes this team over and above what you said? Like somebody different has stepped up every single game, 10, 11 walk-offs. You said 10 different players who did that. But what to you kind of characterizes this team for people? A lot of people who are listening to us right now outside of your L.A. flagship at 570 are going to be watching the Dodgers for the first couple of times, maybe of the entire season. What would you tell them to keep an eye on? Well, I think that the, the 10 different walk-off winners is a representation of the main thing, and that is the depth that this organization has. You lose Corey Seager for the National League Championship Series, you know, one of the best shortstops in baseball. Charlie Culberson gets plugged in and has a fantastic series. So, I mean, that's just kind of how it's been all season for this team and really the last two years. And then the other thing is for casual baseball fans, you're obviously going to have heard of Clayton Kershaw. But it is something special to watch that guy pitch. And I think that it's it's really special that we finally get to see him on this stage. You know, one of the things that he's been known for, unfortunately, over the years is an inability to match what he's done in the regular season once the postseason rolls around. So I think it's awesome that he's finally going to get a chance on this world championship stage to show what he can do to uh, the biggest audience that the game has. Is that fair? Uh, I, I think of Clayton Kershaw almost as the Peyton Manning of baseball, where every time he doesn't win a game, that's the big game he can't win. 
And every time he does win a game, for instance, the closeout one in uh, at Wrigley this past uh, last week, everybody yeah. doesn't point to that one as the big game. It's, and I saw it for the first time really with Peyton Manning because that's the first time I ever heard, oh, he can't win the big game. And artificially it would get defined as whatever game that he lost. The point that you win to get up to that game doesn't count. It's just whatever game he loses. And for Kershaw, now that he's in the World Series, uh, it's a pretty big game you have to win to get to the World Series. Yet for a lot of people out there, when he pitches in the World Series, that's going to become the new quote-unquote big game. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, he's he's had some really good starts in the postseason. But to your point, to feed into the narrative, those don't get defined as big games if he pitches well in them, right? But there are so many times where he has pitched well in October. And even the games where the numbers wind up not pretty, he's been really good in those games with the exception of one inning. In a lot of instances, it's the seventh inning where Kershaw's had problems in the postseason. What's been different about this year is how aggressively Dave Roberts is managing where None of these starters are seeing the light of day when it comes to the seventh inning. They're out in the fifth and the sixth inning because of the depth of the Dodger bullpen and how that affords Dave Roberts the luxury to be so aggressive. So I'm not sure we see Kershaw get a chance to, to have a, a vintage, you know, when you're thinking about postseason starts that you remember from guys classically. Those are complete games, right, or seven or eight innings. I don't know that we'll see that. It's not to say we won't, but if you allow – five and six inning outings, maybe touching the seventh inning to redefine Clayton Kershaw's postseason legacy. If you give him that chance, I think he's going to. And I think he deserves that chance. We're talking to Joe Davis. Go follow him on Twitter at Joe underscore Davis. Called all the Dodger games all season long on 570 AM, the flagship in LA. Joe, what do you expect it to feel like as the first pitch nears 509, I think it is, Pacific time, later today inside Chavez Ravine there at Dodger Stadium. What do you think the atmosphere will be like for people who are there? I saw there's hardly any tickets for less than $1,000 available. So obviously this is as hot of a ticket as it has probably ever existed in Dodger Stadium history. What's that moment going to feel like? Yeah, I can't wait to feel it. I mean, even during the regular season, as the team got to the point where you just knew they were going to win, and especially at home, the place would literally shake when they were making these comebacks. And this is regular season baseball. When they have a 20-game lead in the division, the outcomes of the game no longer really matter. It's, it's been incredible through the postseason, or to, through the regular season run. It's been incredible through the first two rounds of the postseason. I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like tonight. You uh, have called a lot of games over the course of this season. Uh, do you remember much about the games against the Astros that you called? Um, let's see. I mean, I did the, I did the Astros Red Sox American League Division Series for Fox. So that's probably the best instance of, uh, you know, a case for me to talk about the Astros. I I thought that the Yankees were going to be the easier matchup. Why did you think Um, that? So from, I just think the Astros, when they're right, are terrifying. Uh, The lineup. And then when you consider Keiko and Verlander in the rotation, they're really scary. And the Yankees for me didn't quite scare me like that yet i thought that they had guys that could be pitched to i don't think jose altuve and carlos correa have been proven to be guys that you can pitch to so i think that they're a very scary matchup i think we're getting the best two teams in baseball so i think that's wonderful justin verlander 
while the Dodgers have not seen the Astros, they've seen Justin Verlander in Detroit before he was traded in August, and he had probably the most impressive outing against the Dodger lineup all season. And I remember saying that day, boy, how does somebody not trade for this guy? How does Houston not go trade for this guy, <laughs> knowing what they needed in the rotation? And sure enough, a week or two later, they did. And, you know, we all know what he's meant for them over this last month. So, uh, you know, the Dodgers will need to be much different against him this time around than they were in August because they didn't have a chance against him at uh, Comerica Park. Yasil Puig, for a lot of people, is a big name associated with the Dodgers. He's had an interesting career trajectory where he went from young phenom who's out driving his Ferrari or whatever it was, late nights in Hollywood, uh, flees from Cuba, becomes this unbelievable luminescent star. Then he has sort of the the challenge, if you were scripting this as a Hollywood film, uh, he has adversity, he falls back down to earth, and now he seems to have brought himself back up. What's Yasil Puig like, and what part of his story are we in right now? I love him. I, I love the. I love watching him play the game. You know, there are, there's an old school faction of people that dislike some of the antics, and some of it goes overboard, sure. But I love the joy that he plays the game with. I think one thing that we forget about with Yasiel because he broke in so early is the fact that he's still only 26 years old. So it's not like this is a veteran human being. This is a guy who lived in a different world until he was 22 years old and is still relatively young when it comes to being a true Major League Baseball professional baseball player. It's totally different when they play in Cuba. So I think the strides that he's made, and we've seen flashes of those strides over the years, but the consistency that he's shown this season, hopefully that's that's who Yasiel Puig is now because if he is, uh, it's a it's a really really nice piece that the Dodgers have playing Gold Glove defense and right. Then a guy that's totally overhauled his approach at the plate with the hitting coach Turner Ward this year. It's a really valuable player. Last question for you, and we're talking to Joe Davis at Joe underscore Davis on Twitter. Go follow him there. He's been calling the Dodgers all season long. What would it mean to the city of Los Angeles for the Dodgers to win their first Major League Baseball title, the first World Series championship since 1988? And I was just saying to my wife, driving around town, you see so many flags on cars. You see everybody wearing Dodger hats. Everybody's got Dodger T-shirts on. It's been a long time, 29 years since they've experienced, 29 years since they've even been to this stage. This time, when the Dodgers are good, wraps its arms around the Dodgers like nothing you'll ever see. And so if they're able to finish this thing off, I I can't wait to see what a parade would look like, what kind of turnout that would be. It means so much to the city. And and the city, with the way they've supported the team, certainly deserves it. Leading leading the league in attendance the last two decades pretty consistently, and, and the way they've filled that place up this year in particular, the city deserves it. And for people who want to watch you, if they miss your voice, they miss hearing you interact with the Dodger games, you're going to be on Facebook Live on the Dodgers uh, official page tomorrow, 90, or sorry, today, 90 minutes beforehand the game starts. Tell people how to find you. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Each home game, 90 minutes before first pitch. I'll be a guest on the Dodger Insider Show on Facebook Live. And like you said, that's on the Dodgers official Facebook page. Outstanding stuff, my man. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, Clay, thank you. Make sure you follow Joe on that Facebook show. If you're a hardcore Dodger fan, get ready tonight before the game. 
And let me tell you, we're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. You know what's always easier? It's bringing in my guy, Eddie Garcia, to get us updated in the world of sports. Fire away, Eddie. All right, Clay. Well, week seven in the NFL came to a close on Monday night in Philadelphia with an NFC East clash. It was the Eagles beating the Redskins 34-24. Carson Wentz had four touchdown passes for Philadelphia as they won their fifth straight game and improved to 6-1 on the season. That is the best record in the NFL. Washington drops to 3-3 three and three with the loss. There was a loss in the win for the Eagles as left tackle Jason Peters was carted off the field in the third quarter. The nine-time Pro Bowler suffered a left knee injury. He'll have an MRI later today. Also news from the NFL, Dolphins head coach Adam Gase says Matt Moore is likely going to start at quarterback for Miami in their Thursday night game against the Baltimore Ravens with Jay Cutler suffering from multiple cracked ribs. In NBA games of note, it was the Spurs over the Raptors 101-97. San Antonio's off to a 3-0 start to the season. Grizz Leeds are 3-0 as well, beating the Rockets in Houston 98-90, and the Wizards are 3-0. They beat the Nuggets 109-104. This report is brought to you by True Car. With True Car, you can find out what other people in your area pay for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And, of course, you were talking about the World Series, which gets underway coming up tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern time in Los Angeles with the Dodgers will be hosting the Houston Astros. That'll be Clayton Kershaw on the mound for L.A. against Dallas Keuchel for Houston, and it is on Fox. Thanks, Eddie. Final segment, Tuesday show up next. Then I'll hop in my flight to L.A. where I hear it's 100 degrees. We'll talk about Monday Night Football and what transpired there next on OutKick, the coverage. Welcome back in. Final segment, hour three. I hope your Tuesday is going spectacularly well. It certainly is if you live in L.A. and you are ecstatic to see what's going to happen tonight with Clayton Kershaw on the mound. I'm flying out to L.A. as soon as this show is over. I'll be hopping a flight, and I'm looking forward to doing a couple of different podcasts that I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy. I'll tweet them out. Follow me on Twitter at Clay Travis. Make sure you download the podcast. Go into iTunes, search OutKick, and you'll be able to listen to everything that we did in today's show and more. Uh, The Casper Mattress Comfort Foams guarantees you sleep cool and perfectly balanced, and its support foam provides long-lasting durability. Try your Casper for 100 nights risk-free. Go to Casper.com and use code CLAY, and you could save $75. Minimum purchase required. See site for details. Terms and conditions apply. As well, now's a fantastic time to buy a new Honda. Visit shophonda.com or visit your local Honda dealer today. Uh, The Dodgers hosting the uh, Houston Astros in their first World Series game since 1988. Tickets over $1,000 out in Chavez Ravine. I can't wait to see what the city of Los Angeles looks like today when I land uh, playing that first World Series game since 1988. It's going to be very, very cool to check out. But... I am in the process right now of doing something that I do pretty much every single Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to give you quickly my uh, top 10 for college football. Have not done it yesterday. Uh, We talked a lot about the top five and bottom five in the NFL with the Eagles' big win. And here, to me, is where we start to roll through an idea of how is this year kind of going to break out. What is it going to look like from the college football perspective? And I'm sorry if you're on the West Coast because there ain't very many good teams in college football right now. My top 10, I'd go with the Alabama Crimson Tide 1, Penn State 2, Georgia 3, TCU 4, Oklahoma 5, Ohio State 6, 
Notre Dame 7, Miami 8, Wisconsin 9, and Clemson 10. Any disagreement there with you, Jason Martin? No, not really. I just can't believe Notre Dame is this good. Like, I really did not expect them to be this good. You had them there at 7. That game with Georgia and Notre Dame, we might all need to go back and watch that game if there's if there's a way to do it because that may be one of the more actually impressive games by the end of the season. That one-point loss that Notre Dame had to Georgia might be more impressive than a lot of teams' best wins this year. Well, look, I mean, Notre Dame and Georgia have both won every game so far by 20 or more points. And uh, I, I historically, Notre Dame is the most overrated team in college football. I think it's fair to say right now that they are probably – the most underrated, and I think that's changing a little bit with what they did to USC. But there's my outkick top 10. The other intriguing thing we talked about quite a bit uh, today's show, again, Eagles 6-1. and one. If you are an Eagles fan, life cannot get much better than this. And to me, when you look at Monday Night Football, which obviously was our lead as we're finishing off the final segment here, what an impressive performance by Carson Wentz. Four touchdown passes and... I love the idea of going back in time and redrafting with all the information that we have now. How would that alter the calculus of the decision-making in the 2016 NFL draft? I think now, and again, it could change next year. It could change next week. It could change as we continue to play the final half of the NFL season. But I think right now, there's a pretty strong argument out there that Carson Wentz would be the overall number one draft pick that Jared Goff would be number two, and that everybody's favorite player last year, Dak Prescott, has now slid to number three overall. Now, the other thing I can say about those three guys is, are they both, all three, outperforming in their second year so far what we've seen from two guys we thought we could rely on who were in their third year, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota? I think right now there's an argument that all three of those guys are better than Mariota and Winston when it comes to the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, obviously, Derek Carr still looks really good. He would have to be in that list. Those would probably be, I think, relatively speaking, the top six quarterbacks under the age of 25-ish. But I think all three of the second-year guys have been more impressive than the third-year guys so far. Now, Mariota's been a little bit injured. They haven't asked him to do much. The team's four and three. Jameis Winston has actually posted some decent yardage totals, but he's thrown quite a few picks. He's had injury issues as well, and his team is actually two and four. So would you agree with me, Jason Martin, that if you were ranking those guys right now, all three of the second-year guys are above Mariota and Winston, who were the third-year guys? Yeah, I would. Carson Winston, to me, is a clear number one at this point with what he can do both with his legs. He's more athletic than I thought he was. And what he's doing just from a poise standpoint, 17 touchdowns to four interceptions with a 104 passer rating. I'm just super impressed with everything I've seen from him. Dak has looked, he still looked pretty good. His team has kind of been, I don't know, in flux with the Ezekiel Elliott thing, with certain other things that have gone on down there. I still think that he's awfully good. And then Jared Goff hasn't done a ton. I mean, he's got a 90.3 passer rating right now, nine touchdowns to four interceptions. So he's not blowing it up. But the biggest thing is, Mariota and Winston have both kind of dropped off just a little bit. You mentioned the injuries. Also, Mariota's dealt with a huge drop rate from his wide receivers, and I think Tampa Bay's offense has been disappointing, not just because of Winston, who does have one or two bad throws every game, but just because I haven't really been impressed with much I've seen outside of Mike Evans and a few decent performances from Deshaun Jackson. So, yeah, I don't really disagree with what you said there. 
Final uh, segment of Tuesday show tomorrow. Jason Martin and Jeff Schwartz will be in because I'm headed to L.A. I'll be out of town for just one day. Then I'll be back on Thursday and Friday. It has been fun, as it always is. We've done top five, bottom five. We have break, broken down the, the entirety of college football. Best of luck to the Dodgers and to the Astros. Hopefully we'll get a good World Series. Uh, the city of Houston deserves uh, a championship, and L.A. certainly deserves to break their drought as well. So either way, we're going to have a, uh, a great result. Can't wait to check out the vibe in L.A. I am off and running there. Encourage you once more, download the podcast, search OutKick on iTunes. And remember, we'll be back tomorrow all the time, all week, every week, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. I'm Clay Travis, and this has been OutKick, the coverage. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.